I thank you, Father, for our, our, our togetherness, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, that uh, I can come in as a, as a, as a long-lost family member, as it were, as an unknown family member to, to many, and yet come in and feel just at home and be embraced like it's home. Because it is, Lord God, because though we are many, we are one body and, uh, and made up of many churches. And Father, I just celebrate what you're doing and what you're doing here in this body of believers among, among this group of people who together are partnering for your good and for the good of your kingdom and the advance of your gospel in this great city of East London. I pray that what we do this morning, Lord God, would be pleasing to you, would, would turn and change our hearts to focus more on you, and would, would send us, Lord God, with, with great joy into the great commission that you've called us. Amen. Amen. Okie dokie. Um, Psalm, Psalm 9 verse 10 says, The people who know God's name will trust Him. The people who know God's name will trust Him. Wayne Grudem said this about God's name. He said the many names of God in Scripture provide additional revelation of His character. These are not mere titles assigned by people, but for the most part, His own descriptions of Himself. As such, they reveal aspects of His character. So, my name is Dave, and uh, as I introduce you myself to you, you begin to call me Dave because that's my name. But it doesn't really tell you much about me. It doesn't really say much about me. You've got to kind of get to know me and maybe get to know people around me. And, and, and you, we, we, I grow to know you and you grow to know me. Our names don't give much away, even though my parents probably thought a lot about my name. Not that much, actually. My dad's name is Dave, and his dad's name was Dave, and so they didn't really put much time. But some of you have thought a lot about the names that you've called your children, and maybe you've chosen a name that would, would be prophetic in their lives, a name that you want to speak over them every time you, 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 you speak of them. A, a, a son like Joseph, a man who, who, who is known by God, a precious, a precious son, a son of promise, a son who receives dreams and visions of God. Maybe that's that's what Joseph's parents had in mind as they named him. Or maybe your dad's name is Joseph. <laughs> but names, names don't always have meaning, even, even though we, we, can, we can try and bring meaning in and through them. With God, it's quite different. You see, my name has a meaning. My name is David, and I think it means something about being a, a beloved son, something like that. And... Uh, and as much as, as that my name means that, I can't make it mean that. I can't make myself into that. God's different. God, because He is God, can be who He says He is. He can be who He says He is. And uh, we're going to look at some of who God is today through His name. I'm convinced that if we, could, if we can help you know the name of God better, the Lord will strengthen your joy and your confidence in Him. Amen. And can I just say to the lady who came forward, where are you there? What is your name? Emily. Anna Marie. Anna Marie. I think we met earlier. Sorry, I didn't remember your name. But, but we're proud of you too. I just felt proud of you coming forward to share that testimony this morning. And I know God's word of being proud of you is way bigger than mine or anyone else's. But, but what, a, what, a, what a brave thing to do to come and share a testimony, to come and be vulnerable, and to come and speak in the way you did. It's, it's 
God knows, knows your name, and, and you have found new joy and new confidence in God, who you found to be faithful. And we were singing God about God as faithful this morning. Those who know His name will trust in Him, will come to joy, and will grow in confidence in Him. So today I want to take you to one, maybe another familiar text, uh, which will reveal and describe the name of God to you. So if you've got your Bibles with you, or your cell phone has a Bible on it, you could take that out and turn to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 to verses 16. I think we got it up there. It is. Thank you to the guys on the desk. If you don't have, have your Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along there. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. God is meeting with Moses, and he's meeting with him. He's revealing himself through a burning bush. How many of you have heard the story of the burning bush? Okay, and God's, God, there's this bush was burning, and Moses was attracted to it, and then God began to speak to him, and the angel of the Lord told him to take up his shoes because it was holy ground. There was a revelation of God was happening. The presence of God was there, and so we get to this, this wonderful text. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, this is Moses speaking, and they ask me, what is his name? Who shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. His, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The Jewish people found this name Yahweh to be so holy, they never said it. They never used it. In its place, they used the word Adonai. And in our translations, in most of our Bibles, it's translated as the Lord in capital letters. It's a glorious and holy name. It's a name of great reverence. Somebody was saying this morning, Lord, don't let us grow familiar. Though you are our Father and though we draw close to you and you welcome that, don't let us grow so familiar that we miss that you are glorious and holy and perfect and righteous. Moses had his shoes off in this place as he heard this name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's such an awesome name and it has meaning because God's names have meaning. God's name reveals his character to us. We see in scripture he's often changed people's names to carry the meaning that he desired. Abraham became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Sarah became Sarah. And even the name of Jesus wasn't left to chance. You shall call him Jesus, just, just in case Joseph was going to call him after himself, which was traditional in, in families at the time. You shall call him Jesus. What does it mean, though, when you ask your God, who are you, or what is your name, and he answers you, I am who I am? I mean, the first response might be, well, that's a bit of a funny name. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's a bit. Well, God wasn't, God wasn't trying to be mysterious or confusing. He was speaking to, to Moses very specifically, resonating who he was 
through this glorious name. And so I want to I speak about, I think, five implications of, of what it means when God says, I am who I am, so that we can know God's name, so that we can, we can trust in Him. The first implication is that God exists. I am who I am. I exist. It's a grand and true statement of God that He is here, that He exists. Now, it may seem obvious we be, we're a people who love God and who follow God, and we know that He exists. It's so basic that we might not even mention it, but we need to mention it, and we need to emphasize it even as God needed to. Moses is standing before a, a burning bush, speaking to God, and God says, I am who I am. I exist. Why would He need to say that? Well, because despite it being so obvious, most people live as if it weren't not true. <laughs> most people live as if God didn't exist at all. And then they remember he exists and then they quickly kind of bring things into order and come to him in repentance, which is all good and okay. But, but imagine if we lived as, as if God exists. Imagine if we knew God's name to be, I am who I am, I exist. I'm not just there, but I'm here. I'm not just everyone, but I'm here. I'm, I'm near. It needs to be emphasized. We live as if it doesn't make any, any difference. John Piper says this. He says it's like, it's like God is hydrogen. You learn once in school that it's in the air that you breathe. But after, your, sorry, and, and after that, you believe that, that, that it's in the air that you breathe. But it made no difference in your life. Every time someone takes a poll, you say, of course I believe that hydrogen exists. Everybody who believes hydrogen exists, put your hand in the air. Everybody puts their hands up. You agree that it exists, but then you, you go as if it doesn't matter. Now, friends, hydrogen doesn't demand your attention. It's willing to just give itself to, to the air that you breathe so that we can live. But God does. And God desires to be known by us. And that's why he reveals himself to us. God matters. God exists. And while we could ignore him, we would do so at our peril. Imagine visiting a famous person and enjoying all the hospitality they have and all the company of their friends, introducing yourself to them at the door and receiving their introduction of themselves, and then you just go in and you plug your iPhone into their phone and you begin to stream your music through their sound system, going into the fridge and you just, just tuck in and enjoy everything that is there, and they're happy for you to do it. They've said, I've, I've created all of this for you to enjoy. It's all the space which is mine I make accessible to you. Go and enjoy the pool deck. In fact, I've invited many other people. Enjoy their company too. And so you do all of that and you never reference him. You never reference the owner of the house. You never reference the provider of, the one, of all that you're enjoying. Just imagine that, living in this, in this spacious place, spending a whole evening there and, and, and living as if the one who owns it all didn't even exist. Friends, at, at, at very least, it would be rude, and very few of us would ever do it. Very few of us would ever do it. But God feels the need to say, I am who I am, that we know He exists, so that we begin to say, Man, I'm enjoying all things that He's given for me to enjoy. I don't feel bad enjoying them, but I enjoy them knowing that He's given them to me, and I'm enjoying them alongside Him. That's what God desires. This is the first and most important truth about God, is that He exists it makes all the difference in the world. For the lost, it's the very beginning of salvation. 
And if you're here this morning and you're just looking in and you're just visiting with a friend and you're still wondering who is God and, and what is it that these Christians do and, and why, well, what we do is we worship a God because He exists. We, we, we've come to know and love Him in profound ways. God exists. And if you could come to the revelation this morning, come to the, the knowledge this morning that God exists, that is the beginning of your salvation. The beginning of God's work as He takes you in and opens your heart and deals with your, your, your heart, your sin, and your life and makes him as, you a son or a daughter. I hope that that happens this morning. I hope that you would receive God this morning. I hope you wouldn't just acknowledge Him at the door and say, okay, I accept He exists, and then live, go on living your life as you have been, as if He doesn't exist. Would you, would you call on Him today? It's also the, 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 the most important truth in the beginning. It make, makes all the difference for us who are, who are already saved. It's the core of our mission to tell others, to go into all the world and pre preach the gospel, the existence of God and the grace and love of God. Yahweh, I am, I exist. That's what it means. The other implication or another implication of God's name is that he's uncaused. I am who I am. I am who I am. No one but God can say this. God's not made or self-made. He is who he is. I am who I am by the work of my parents, by the work of my environment, as are you, by the work of the country that I grew up in, by the work of the politicians that ruled over me, that all these things have worked to shape my life. By the silly things I've done and the good things I am, I can't say like God can say, I am who I am, uncaused. I just am. Nobody, nobody uh, gave me a set of genes, God says. Nobody and no power brought me into existence. No circumstance or experience shaped my personality. I am uncaused. No influence has made or shaped me. I shape myself to nothing. Everything shapes itself to me. We find ourselves, as we come to, to know God through His Son Jesus, to being shaped day by day into the likeness of, of, of His Son Jesus, into the likeness of God. We who are created in His image grow to look nothing like Him. And in His redemption and through, through His sanctification throughout our lives, we grow into the likeness of God. Glory to glory. It's a beautiful thing. But God, we grow into the likeness of God and God never grows into the likeness of us because I am is uncaused. And I am is unshaped by external, external things. And friends, that's a good thing for you and I because it means that the politics of the world and the weight of sin and the trouble that, we, that, that, that affects and changes us and, and messes with our lives so much does not mess with God. And so when we sing about God who is faithful, we don't sing about a God who has been faithful even though he may well have been faithful to you just in this last week. We sing about a God who is faithful. That's who he is. He is faithful faithful whether you have never taken the road the road exists and it's a road that is faithful God is faithful many of us can say we've experienced his faithfulness which is just altogether glorious and so gracious of God so wonderful of him in the face of what caused you what are you like what has shaped and made you to be like you are 
Who shall I say sent me? Moses said. God said, I am who I am. Nothing caused me. I'm the beginning. It is I who caused everything to be. <laughs> who or what made God is an impossible question to answer. Some of you may have, may have been probed by friends of yours. Yes, but what about God? In the beginning, God. Yes, but what made God? It's an impossible question to answer. Just tell your friends. It's impossible to answer. It's as impossible for, for us to answer that question as, as, as it is impossible for me to answer the question, why do you beat your wife up? I can't answer the question because I don't. I don't. What caused God? What made God? We can't answer the question because nothing did. Nothing made God. The answer's in God's name. This is the glory of God, and this is our great confidence. I am uncaused. No one or nothing has caused me to exist or to be a certain way. And so it follows. It follows. Third implication, that God does not change. God does not change. His, his being has always existed. He has always existed. He has always been. He is uncaused, and he is also unchanging. And some of us want him to change, but really you don't. I wish God would just behave a little bit differently in this area. No, if God was changeable to your will, friends, you would be God, and he wouldn't be. And you would make a terrible God. <laughs> you make a terrible God. You've already tried that. Those of you who have come to him in Jesus, you came through repentance. You came, to, you came repenting. You came knowing that, that as God over your own life, you messed up. And God needed to rescue you, and he did. He rescued you. He came and sought, sought after you because what you were lost. But now you found. Now you found. So God, God doesn't change, and it's a good thing that God doesn't change, even when his unchangeableness is, causes a rock for us to, 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 to be crushed up against or crushed upon. Being crushed upon the rock of God is a, is a, is a painful moment or pain, can be a painful thing, but it's a good thing. Rather, we get crushed upon God than God crushes us, surely. <laughs> People change because of unforeseen circumstances or weak resolution. God foresees all circumstances. He has no weaknesses. Nothing in all creation takes him off God and backs him into a corner where he might have to act out of character or compromise his integrity, which I've done and you've done. Nothing causes God to do that. That's so good for us. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I, Yahweh, do not change. <laughs> wow. This couldn't be plainer than that. But it goes on to say why this is a good thing. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change, and he is gracious and kind to those he loves. And God is, and so we are not consumed. The sons of Jacob will, will, will persevere. He, he is who he is, and therefore James says, with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. And, and, and Hebrews says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is faithful because he does not change. All the, all the laws of nature and the laws of science that every, every potentially atheistic scientist pins his life on, pins his assumptions on, all those laws hold together in God's unchangeableness. We couldn't have science without God. <laughs> And so in him we are safe. 
And He is the most solid foundation of our confidence in His endless faithfulness. God is the, is the foundation. I love testimonies. They strengthen my hope and my faith, but they're not the foundation for my faithfulness. The fact that God was faithful, faithful to Joseph or faithful to, to, to any of you, those are not my, not my conviction that God will be faithful to me. My conviction is that God will be faithful to me because His name is I am who I am, and I will not change. What if I do something wrong? My wrong does not change God. He will remain faithful even when I am unfaithful. Isn't that glorious? Those who know the name of God will put their trust in Him. I am who I am. It also implies very quickly that God is not subjective. I've touched on this in some examples already. We might desire for God to be a certain way. You might have said or heard it said someone but say, my God would never do that. Now, my God is not, not like that. But what we feel or what we desire doesn't make God what He is. He's not subjective. He's not subject to you, your or anyone else's feelings or anyone else's opinions. Everybody's view of God is not as good as everyone else's view of God. God is God. We need to gaze at Him, not our, 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 our subjective opinions. God is objective. He's defined by Himself. Our calling as creatures is to know Him for who He is and not for who we would like Him to be. When you read your Bibles, would you just come to know and love the God that the Scriptures reveal? Would you not try and shape that in and say, oh, I don't really like that. The parts that you don't like, would you, would you dig even deeper into those and come to know them and come to experience God in those? Because, God, because as created beings, as, as, as His sons and daughters, it's for us to know who he is, and to grow to be like him. And that's the Spirit of God's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, all the, always, all the days. And God is inexhaustible, inexhaustible power, inexhaustible energy. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this, Yahweh is the everlasting God. I ran Comrades Marathon and discovered I was not the everlasting anything. Uh, we can't last. There's a guy swimming at the moment, Lewis Pugh. He's swimming the length of the, of the English Channel, not, not across the Channel, which used to be a great feat back in the day, just to swim across the Channel. Lewis Pugh is a South African, and he's swimming the length of it, promoting awareness of the oceans and pollution and all the rest of it. Can you believe it? Can you imagine what he can do? That's incredible. But he's not inexhaustible. He's going to get to the end. In fact, he's already struggling. He's suffering sore shoulders, but he keeps getting in the water every day and swims another 10, 12 Ks. Uh, and, and, and it's, but he's not inexhaustible. As, as, as incredible as, as people we know are, mothers who can just go night after night up with children, and, and uh, they seem inexhaustible. But if you look behind the glazed look on the, uh, in their eyes, you realize they're not. But God is. God is. Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Oh, he's the one I want to trust in. He's the one I want to hide in. He's the one I want to go in his strength. My strength can take me so far and then no further. But not God. God's strength just goes on and on and on. Oh, I put my trust in him. 
Not my name, his name. Not my ability, his ability. Everything in the universe is resourced by him. If God ever shut down, there'd be nothing. There'd be nothing. Instantly, there'd be nothing. By his name, he declares, I am who I am. I do not grow weary or tired. I'm always full and constant, and I'm never lacking in power, and I'm never lacking or at a loss. The universe expands, friends, at the speed of light. From, t- from the, the time the words were spoken, let it be. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows, and our minds are blown by the, the millions and, and billions of light years that we're told the universe ex- extends to. Such is the power of God. Inexhaustible. Incredible. Awesome. Glorious. And friends, in Him, we live and move and have our being. Acts 17 tells us that. He's an unending river of life. He's the source of our strength for every moment of every day, and He will be for all eternity. God exists. He is uncaused. He does not change. He is not subjective. He is an inexhaustible power. And God has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. John 8, Jesus is having a conversation with Jewish leaders. He says this to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. Abraham, all that, those years ago, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) Jesus have taken any more exalted name upon his lips. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he owned and declared that all the truth of the name of God was true of him, Resident, present, resident in him. This was not conferred on him. It was him. This wasn't just a name that Jesus took, borrowed for a while. Jesus is God in the flesh. God with us. How awesome is this, friends? God draws near to us in the person of his son, Jesus. Uncaused, unchanging. The inexhaustible God present and wrapped in the humility of flesh, of human flesh. And not just not human flesh as a king or human flesh to lord it over all, but human flesh in servanthood, in the form of a, of a human, but in the form of a servant, one who would come to serve others. It's God who offered himself to atone for all our rebellion. God. Yahweh, and made a way for us to see His glory without fear. And the one true God is drawn near to us in Jesus. And we who are born of God have the unspeakable privilege of knowing Yahweh as our Father. By Him we cry, by Jesus we cry, Abba, Father, to Yahweh. He he says in, in the cross of Jesus, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Friends, today is a memorial. We don't serve and we are not sought out by a non-God or a God of our own making. 
I am who I am. The God who exists, who eternally exists, who is shaped by circumstance, whose personality and power is owned solely to himself. This God who never changes, from whom all the power in the earth flows, flows and who has drawn near to us. The question is, will we yield to him? Will we acknowledge him? Will we be, remain and live in the sight of him? Will we rejoice in the God of our salvation? Will we draw near to him? Will we find ourselves hidden in him? Will we trust in the one who says, I am who I am? I hope that you will. I really hope that you will. I hope that as a community, that you'd become a community of people who say, we don't take our shoes off when we, when we come into, into worship, but we know to whom we come. We come to a glorious and wonderful God who calls us to himself, who has, who has come to us. Those who know my name, who know the name of the Lord, will put their trust in you. So Moses shook off the failure of his past, and he broke through the end of his long wait. As he'd been waiting for something to happen, he knew how to call on his life. And he became the man who God had called him to be and God had destined to be. He conformed himself to the Father's will and he began to lead a nation. Isn't that glorious? The Celtic Christians had an ancient saying. It went like this. Heaven and earth are only three feet apart. But in thin places, they're even closer. These people spoke of remote, windswept places as thin places, places where the presence of God seemed to be nearer. It's a mystery that an omnipresent God chooses to show up in His presence among His people at certain times and at certain places. This moment of, of Moses at the burning bush is a thin place, a place where God who exists everywhere and has existed throughout all time revealed Himself. For Moses is good, but friends, also for ours. For Moses is encouragement and direction, but friends, also for ours. For Moses is joy and confidence, but also for ours. Lord, we thank you for this thin place. We thank you for this revelation of who you are. We thank you, God, that we can know through this that you are glorious. Despite our circumstances, despite anything we've ever, we're living through currently or anything that we've lived through in the past, despite what we've done and what we will, will, are likely to do, even, even though we try not to, Lord, you are, you are holy, you are who you are, you're unchanged by us, and you love us, you know us, and you've called us by name, so you have a plan and a purpose for us, and you've filled it with your spirit, and you send us First to, to, to each other and then to others. Lord, we love you. We love you. And praise your holy name. And I just pray if there's anybody that God has been calling to himself this morning. If you find yourself this morning having, having known God in the past, but, but realize you've, you, you've lived like he doesn't exist or you've just kind of grown soft on on who he is and, and out of awe of him. I just want to pray for you this morning. God is arising in your heart. God is already doing the work. God in his great love has, has begun to stir your spirit. Let your spirit be stirred. Respond to him. Pray to him. If you need to ask forgiveness, ask him to forgive you. He will forgive you. He already has. He already has. He loves you. And run with God. Run with him. 
and see His glory and experience His joy. And for those of you this morning, maybe you've never, ever been convinced of who God is. But this morning, not because of my words, but because of something inside of you, you just feel like, I believe in God. I believe He drew near to me and His Son, Jesus, and I want to know Him more. Would you tell Him that? I don't need to give you the words for that. Just tell Him that in whatever words you have. Just, God, come. God understands your heart. God understands your simple prayer, if it's a simple prayer that you, uh, the, only a simple prayer that you know to pray. But would you call on God? Would you speak to maybe some of the leaders and let them walk with you in a journey to coming to know Him, to crossing a line of faith, to becoming His son or His daughter, to knowing Him? We bless you, Lord God, for your wonderful work this morning and the privilege of being able to sit with you and the saints to hear your word and to glorify your name. Amen.